Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right Moves Podcast, where we talk about how to develop happy, healthy, resilient children into happy, healthy, resilient adults. I'm your host, Dr. Debbie Ray. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Right Moves Podcast. We're back with Dr. Michelle Bommel, Associate Professor of Early Childhood Education in the Department of Teaching and Learning Sciences at TCU. This is our third and final episode focused on recess kits or items you can gather for young children up through adolescence to have fun and creative indoor play experiences when the outdoors is too volatile, like thunderstorms, high winds, very extreme temperatures. Okay, let's get started. All right, well, Michelle, it's so good to have you on another episode of the Right Moves podcast. Thanks so much for your expertise as we've gone through these last two. Uh, Just to bring the listeners up to where we are today, um, on the first podcast, we talked about play and creativity and where we were with um, early childhood, birth to eight, how we could expand that if we were talking about pre-K or whatever. But um, then the second one we talked, and that was a fun one, we talked about being outdoors and experiencing different weather conditions and what we could really do in weather if, if we're able to get out there and, and work in those conditions. But at the same time, you know, we want to make sure it's a safe environment. So we did that. So thanks, Michelle, for those two. And um, I'm looking forward to today, which is more about indoor recess. Um, but before we get there, let's talk about unstructured versus structured play a little bit. And let's talk a little more about recess versus just play in general, okay? So, um, Michelle, from your experience, what would unstructured play look like versus structured play? If we were looking at the two, what would be the difference? On one level, when I think of structured play, I think of play that could be enjoyable and fun for children that might be more adult directed, right? Um, I tend to think of maybe organized games with rules like we might see in physical education class, for example. When I think of unstructured play, my mind goes to child directed, freely chosen. It's also, you know, enjoyable and fun for the children, but they make the rules. <laughs> they decide what to play. They decide what to do. So for me, it's it's more kind of who's in charge, right? Unstructured, the, the kid's in charge. <laughs> Structured play, for me, it tends to be more that the teacher is in charge or the adult. Totally, totally agree with you. Um, you know, if, if we, I've even heard um, Jill Wood talk from, instead of saying, structured and unstructured, she may say um, adult directed versus child directed, like you said, or she might even say adults being there in a child directed space, right? So you definitely hit on the head of what I think a lot of people think about when they think structured versus unstructured. And in our world today, I think a lot of um, kids are raised on more of this structured environment than unstructured environment. So the more we can get to a a balanced place, or at times I would even say more unstructured 
child-directed play, right, the better on the early end of learning. Um, so let's talk a minute about if we're thinking school types of play and we think about recess, recess is in most instances is more of that child-directed play, or we hope that it is. I do see, and I think you probably do too, I, I do see more structured play spaces happening because adults don't think kids know how to play anymore. So they want to introduce things to them and then they can play how they want, but they want to introduce the activities, right? So that they know they have something to do. I find that interesting that we need to tell kids what to do so that they they have something to do. But <laughs> anyway, what do you think about that? Is that something that you have thought about? Yeah, it is something that I've seen and noticed. And for me, um, I think of that term maybe guided play when the teacher's kind of sets up an environment with particular materials with the expectation that children will come and play with these activities at this given time and sort of play in this way, even if there's an experimental, you know, or a imaginative component to it, that type of guided play with the teachers kind of impose or the adults impose some of the play decisions that that leans more towards structured for me play than that pure unstructured, you know, not free for all, anything goes, you know, you can hit each other and, you know, <laughs> there's children do need to learn how to play together and how to share and get along. And that's one of the beautiful benefits of unstructured play. But I, I think you're making such a great point here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think where we're going with the upbringing of children, raising children in these environments is really important. And being in the outdoor environment is really important. Having these child-directed experiences is huge for kids. And I'm going to go to a space that, you know, is, is older students as well. When we think about middle school and high school kids, thinking about if they haven't had play as a child in schools, they haven't had much recess. And for, for our listeners today, let me just remind our listeners, the majority of schools in our country, in the U.S., have 20 minutes or less of recess daily. And in middle and high school, they don't have that kind of break at all. So we're talking 20 minutes or less of time outdoors, if that, they may just get up and do something indoors, but they're getting 20 minutes or less. We're talking little kids, you know, pre-K kids, kindergartners. Sometimes this is happening to them as well outdoors. But when we think about that experience and then we go into middle and high school, is there no wonder that we have aggression in kids? We have abuse. We have bullying taking place because we haven't taught them empathy through play. We haven't allowed them the social circle to know boundaries and hear each other, listen, truly listen to each other. So can you talk a little bit about that, you know, from the social fabric of what school's like in an elementary school with 
20 minutes or less of recess and how this could be impacting our social emotional fabric that we have today in homicide and suicide as early adults, young adults. You know, those, I think those ideas are very sobering, um, you know, for our listeners and certainly for me as someone who is actively working with prospective teachers in the work that I do, um, teaching, you know, courses at the university. Um, And it's no wonder that we also see, I think, children who are often anxious, um, who have difficulty focusing. Um, And so I think on the social and emotional level, you're spot on when you say that allowing children, you know, or denying maybe young children those opportunities to be outside and to have more than one 20 minute play period, you know, recess, if they even have that, um, if we deny that, they're missing out on so much. Um, for example, I'm, I'm thinking of children maybe um, who are playing at recess, and let's say that they've decided to um, engage in a game of tag, that they're spontaneously making up on the playground, and there are play structures around on the playground, but they're just sort of running around. Um, they've got to learn for themselves and figure out what their rules are for themselves. And if a child refuses to play within those boundaries, they're out. So they're learning, right, social cues from each other. They're also learning to respect those rules that they're creating for themselves. I'm thinking of another instance where maybe there are some materials outside. Um, Let's say kindergartners um, have a little sand area on the playground and they have some buckets and some, you know, objects that they're playing with, they've got to learn how to share and wait your turn and take turns, right? And eventually children that play next to each other, we we see there's sort of a progression of social play that they'll often start to notice each other and ask to, may I borrow the shovel? Again, using language, learning those social cues and, and building the, the kind of regulation that we hope to see so that when they get to those middle and high school ages and beyond, they've had practice and it's been authentic. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that word authentic. Um, we, we have children and adults today that only know how to communicate predominantly through technology, through texting, social media sites, and so forth. And they really don't know how to respond to um, social rec- or face recognition of emotion. Um, they don't know how to respond emotionally to something that they've been told or heard. And I know it sounds so simple, but play is that place where it happens, right? And we have the opportunity in schools to offer these recess breaks outdoors as much as possible. But you are such an expert on working in this play and creativity mode of operation around if we can't go outside. And let me let me make sure I emphasize this. We should always use the outdoors as our first option. Not, oh, well, it's too much of a hassle, so I'm just going to do indoor recess today because I now know how to do indoor recess. No, indoor recess should only be the backup plan when outdoors is not available, whatever that might be. Would you agree? 
A hundred percent. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So if we don't have the availability, so it's thunder and lightning outside. It is um, very, very windy. Like, you know, we, we have these times sometimes where it's 40 mile an hour winds and that 40 mile an mile an hour wind may have a lot of debris in the air and that kind of thing. We don't need to be out in that. I mean, that's just, that's bad for our eyes. It's bad for our breathing. It's bad for a lot of things. Or maybe the ozone is up in the, the red zone. We don't want to be out during that time. But if we, if we can't go outside, think about a school setting. We don't want to not have play going on. Right. Right. So I'm going to take us to a place where you're going to have a lot of fun with this, which is how did you, how did you get involved? Because you are a connoisseur right now with working with students on building recess kits that they can use indoors when they can't go outdoors. So I want to open it up to you now on your expertise around these recess kits. How long have you been doing it? How did this get started in your classroom? Give a little bit of background about this play creativity class. I know you've mentioned it in both episodes we've been in, but not really. What do y'all do and how important is this recess element in what you do in class now? Thanks, Debbie. This is a huge a component of the play and creativity class that I teach um, undergraduates who are majoring in early childhood education at TCU. You've been a part of this project since its inception, Debbie. Um, We began making these indoor recess kits in the play class in 2014, 2014. So we missed a year because of the pandemic, but we've been doing this for eight years now. And it's been really exciting to see just on all levels, the benefits that have come out of this project. So Debbie, you and I wrote together a grant proposal to try this out one year. Um, You are a guest speaker in our play class, and you come and talk to us each year, talk to our students about the benefits and the value of play, and particularly you you highlight the LINK project. And so you give us such wonderful contextual information about the value of play in a different way than other conversations we have in our class. So since 2014, essentially what this project entails with pre-service teachers is that we spend time in the play class thinking and learning about, from a teacher's perspective, the value of play and how different materials can promote different types of play and different types of creative thinking. And then from there, um, we go online and we look on amazon.com and we look at nasco.com at different types of materials that we think children might enjoy playing inside on a you know day when children can't go outside for recess. And so we propose in groups um, different materials that we might want to add to these indoor recess kits. We pitch our ideas to each other, we, we vote on them. <laughs> and then eventually um, we have purchased the materials and then assembled them into these recess kits that, oh, I would say the the large plastic bins that we use to contain these kits um, oh, are basically mid-sized storage kits with a secure lid that are easily reusable and durable. And then within each indoor recess kit, we have an assembly of maybe eight to 10 various items that the pre-service teachers have 
carefully selected um, for these indoor recess kits. And, and I'd love to give you some examples about some of those if, if you'd like. Yeah. To so, yeah. So um, before we go there, because I definitely want to go to there, um, let's talk about those different types of play that we're hitting on with the, the, the play equipment that may be used in an indoor environment. And I'm going to, you know, we'll, we can talk about that together, but on the outdoors, we experience these types of play in all different ways. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a natural way of experiencing these types of play. But when we come indoors, it's very easy for us to get stuck in one particular kind of play. Or we say, well, what's the difference in a center that we may be using in our pre-K programs versus recess? And the difference is, number one, it's it's definitely unstructured, right? It's, it's child-guided, I mean, child-directed. Right. But it's also based on these five different areas. So do you want to bring them up? Do you want me to, how, how do you want to go about that? I think, um, let me look at, at some of the ideas I brought for the conversation. I'd love to hear what else you might add, because I think there are also a, a few different ways we can look at, at the sure. work that we do with these recess kits. So, for example, um, on the playground, movement is a given <laughs> for children, right? Indoor recess can also involve children's movement. Now, within the constraints of a classroom that may have uh a space for children to gather that's away from furniture or desks, um, desks that may be larger tables that could be movable. There's just so many different setups that we've got to think about when it comes to setting up these indoor recess kits. Um, but there's also constructive play, building, making things, certainly on the playground that could be making up games, that could be using sticks to rocks to, to physically put things together or other equipment. Inside that may look different with constructive materials. Um, imagination happens on the playground. We can also foster it inside, certainly creative expression. And one of the things we talk a lot about, I think in our play class, before we propose these materials to go inside the kits is that different materials might promote sort of divergent open-ended thinking and others might promote sort of single use um, convergent thinking like a puzzle, for example. That could be a great activity for indoor recess if a child chooses it and you know if it's freely chosen that's more of a skill and concept type of material because there's one right way to typically use a puzzle and you put one in front of a child and they're just going to try to assemble it versus some other types of materials that might be more open-ended fine and gross motor materials um, manipulative we might call them self-expressive materials these could be crayons you know play-doh art uh, materials, self-expressive um, as well. And then construction, certainly types of blocks. So maybe um, to be a bit more succinct, the skill and concept materials, fine and gross motor that can include manipulative, self-expressive and constructive. Would you add anything or change something maybe to those ideas, Debbie? I would add make-believe. Yes. Yeah. So Good. with make-believe, they might use puppets. They might use... Um, different types of clothing or, you know, if, if they want to dress up as fire people or uh, hospital people or whatever and use uh, stethoscopes and band-aids and those kind of things. Um, I think we've gotten away from make-believe a lot in our classrooms 
and they do make believe a lot out on the playground, but I think we can bring it back to the, to the play spaces indoors as well. I think you're right. And I think I might also tag that in with self-expressive materials in that with, with art and dress up, as you're saying, and even creating music. Um, these are all could all involve the imagination as a self-expressive sort of an activity. So I, yeah, I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, when I, when I work with teachers and I love the way that you're talking about it with your students, because you, you want to make sure that they understand that, you know, you're getting at different ways of, of working with play uh, in a self space, self paced place. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, when I work with teachers, I want to make sure that they allow different spaces for different types of play that might happen. So they might self-express with crayons, etch-a-sketches. Um, if they want, if if in fifteen to twenty minutes they want to do uh, hand paints, <laughs> they can do that. But. Typically, you know, they're going to go, I wish I hadn't done that because now there's more cleanup and I don't have time for the cleanup. Right. But drawing, using different markers and things like that, definitely self-expressive. Whereas they could have a make-believe area that could be separated from this more artistic area to do other kinds of make-believe stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then they might take the music piece and they may just be over dancing or playing different kinds of music with um, sticks on a table or cans where they're beating a beat with their hands um, or using little tambourines that have been made with, you know, different pieces of metal. Um, but being able to do stuff like that, as you said, all self-expressive, but it might be split out into three different areas where they may be doing things differently because the the group that's doing drawing self-expression may say, I don't want that noise in my ear while I'm over here drawing. Right. Uh, But the manipulatives being able to build, I, one of the biggest research pieces that's come out is within a 15 minute period, especially outdoors um, boys, especially spend two thirds of that time on math and science concepts related to manipulative actions outside. So building things, damming things up, uh, you know, working with ants or butterflies in different situations. These are all science math concepts that they are learning on their own for us to bring those concepts inside is also very important, which you've talked about, which I think is huge. So yeah, I'm, I'm right in the same camp with you. Um, you know, being able to experience these things in different ways, indoors as well as out. And I, I love too that we're couching our conversation within this recess um, sort of focus, because also as an early childhood educator, you know, I might suggest, for example, I would hope that the only time a preschooler or a kindergartner, I would hope that recess isn't the only time they have access to blocks really to get the maximum benefit out of those, they need 30 or more minutes. Same with dress up and dramatic play, just for children to organize their roles, right? And to make decisions, they need extended time. But for these shorter, you know, recess periods that that are 15 or 20 minutes, 
there's a lot that can happen in that time span if we provide children with those kinds of different um, supplies or maybe equipment that could foster these different types of thinking. So it's all so beneficial. And I, I'm just loving this conversation, Debbie. Absolutely. I am all there with you. And I think you brought up a really good point about what happens when you have early childhood, these pre-K children and kinders, first graders, I, I would say that whole group who really need to have some extended play as well. But we may not afford them that time. Or if we do, we think it has to be different than what recess is. We shouldn't confuse, I'm right with you, we shouldn't confuse that things that we may play with at recess may not be similar in our centers. At the same time, recess should be more child-directed and more unstructured than our centers may be in more guided discovery and um, structured kinds of things or teacher directed to make sure they're getting some well-rounded experiences, right? So talk a little bit about that if, if there's more that you'd like to say on that topic. You know, I, I think you've, you've really addressed qu uh, quite a bit of it there. Um, and I, because I want to be really clear that their recess is incredibly valuable and play-based academic time is incredibly valuable. And some of the materials may look, they may be exactly the same for both contexts, but we need to make sure that we are recognizing that recess as an unstructured play activity where children are choosing the materials and they decide how to play and how long to play, who to play with, right? That that is a unique learning situation for children that's separate than even learning centers might be. Oh, yes. so well said. Oh, so well said. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, along those lines, some boundaries around teachers with using recess is that we should not be designating places, which stations kids would go to for recess first the children should be able to select, self-select where they go for recess. The teacher should not be telling them how long they can play somewhere before somebody else can play in that space. This is recess. This is not academic, but this is recess. The teacher should allow the student to decide, the child to decide when they move from one thing to the next, like you've said. Um, a third boundary of teachers is teachers should be watching and observing to make sure the spaces are playing safe and can identify a certain number that could be in a certain space because of limited movement of that area or limited equipment in that area. But all in all, the children should be able to move and be and experience in their own ways during that 15 to 20 minute time that they're in recess. I agree, Debbie. And I might add one more that you and I have talked a lot about is that for, for teachers, all children play at recess. Yes. All children play. Oh, so thank you. We're not withholding recess as a punishment <laughs> or as a time oh. to finish work. 
No, we do not withhold for punishment or, you know, for extra work because they, they're behind or whatever. No, we do not do that. It's a punishment to teachers to do that because they will be terrors in our classes if we do not allow them that time for recess. And I will also say recess indoors is not as that it doesn't do as much for kids as recess outdoors. It just doesn't. I mean, I have teachers all the time say to me, oh my gosh, I hope it quits raining. We got to get these kids outside as quickly as possible. This is not the same, but it does at least allow for the same types of play indoors that we do outdoors. And that that's important. Yeah. Um, you know, we all need those cognitive breaks, even adults during our workday, right? And so one of the things we emphasize as we in, in my classes when we're putting together these recess kits is that, you know, we, we don't need items in our indoor recess kits that have the alphabet on them or that try to sneak in a math game. You know, these, these are not overtly um, connected to reading or math standards. You know, the kids are going to be practicing those skills, like you mentioned, that they do on the playground, right, with science. They're going to be practicing those kinds of skills, but for these indoor recess kits, we want the children to experience the best that they can with free play and unstructured play since they can't go outside, yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, I, yes, I totally agree. And let's just go ahead and say, because I, I want to go, the next th thing I want to go to is what kinds of things are you putting in the kits, right? But one last little statement here is, these kits can be prepared by parents, by after-school programs, by community outreach areas, uh, in orphanages, in, um, believe it or not, in detention centers. These recess kits can be put together for all kinds of things, not just school-related areas. Um, so it's important that we know that as we hone in on these equipment pieces, that they can be made for older children, younger children. And so, Michelle, let's talk about what do you put in these kits? What kind of things do these students come up with? Because I'm telling you, I love every time I see the kits. And these kits do go out to schools that we work with in Link, which is great for those teachers who get to start with some really cool stuff. But tell me what's in them. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I'll tell you too, some of the highlights that I'm going to go over here, these have been tested at the, our lab school at, at TCU, right? And so we've gotten feedback from children and teachers about what yes. they've enjoyed over the years. Um, so first of all, we, we make sure that any items we're putting in those kits are safe, durable, developmentally appropriate, meaning they don't have tiny, tiny parts that very little fingers couldn't, you know, separate or put together. They're reusable, and we make sure that there would be limited teacher uh, assembly and assistance required. So they only have 15 or 20 minutes. We've got to think of the indoor setting. So within those, um, some of the constructive play types of materials we've seen and had success with are those uh, straw connectors with long plastic straws, and the children can build open-ended structures. Um, magnetic tiles have been a big hit in our recess kits. Um, those are um, flat, basically uh, two-dimensional geometric shapes that snap together with magnetic si uh, sides, and the children love those magnet tiles. 
stacking cups. Um, so, you know, these very durable uh, just sets of 10 or 12 plastic cups, believe it or not. And the children will use them as stackers or they'll make them as borders for something else they're playing inside. Um, they use them very open-endedly. We've seen uh, children, believe it or not, with ribbon wands that they love. So it's basically a stick with a long plastic ribbon hanging off the end of it. And especially the very young children love to just swirl their arms around. So they're they're getting a little movement and some enjoyment with those. Um, we've seen even hula hoops and jump ropes. And our conversations with the, the students I'm working with who are putting these kits together, we say, wait a minute, a hula hoop in a classroom? No way, the teachers won't like it. But then we start to talk about how hula hoops don't have to be used for the ways that it was intended to be built. And right, they can be placed on the floor, for example, and then they become a target for tossing bean bags inside. Um, same with jump ropes, they become the borders of a, of a brook that they are crossing over. The idea, I think, with these indoor recess kits is that we put as many materials inside um, that we can afford, and again, that meet our criteria, that are open-ended enough so that um, small groups of children can enjoy and share them and use them in so many different ways. A couple of other things we've seen are little hand puppets. And we like to buy the ones that are animals because those don't represent a particular culture or group of people. They're, you know, they're animals, and so they're very diverse there. Um, I, we have seen bean bags. Um, and there was, there was one story I'll, I'll share if I can about a, a foam sure. balance beam. So um, there is a, um, it, it's basically comes in a kit and it's a balance beam that when put together, it forms a circle that's maybe four feet in diameter. Um, and they're foam pieces. And, and what we did is we ordered those and we took the directions away and then uh, put them in the recess kit and we took them over to the school for observation to see what the children would do with them. So the kids didn't know that this was essentially a balance beam kit that was supposed to be made into a circle. So they just pulled the things out having no directions and this was a group of maybe four third grade students and they just started building and they were talking as they were working and it was fascinating because they ended up being involved in this problem solving sort of conversation where they were collaborating, working together, trying to figure out for themselves how they could make these curve shaped foam pieces balance in such a way that they would stand on their own. So they ended up with this wonderful sculpture and our students who were watching, who were going to become teachers, just talked about that, you know, and were, were recognizing, wow, Here's something that was built for one thing, but for the children, when they're given opportunities, right, to, to choose how they play and what they're playing with, they're using all these wonderful social, emotional, even cognitive skills um, just as they're playing recess. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is so true. I mean, it's amazing. And I'm sure as a student who thought they were going to use these for a specific thing, they're like, well, they're not using it like it's supposed to be used. Oh, that's because it's child-directed. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, we learn from the kids. It's like, oh, my gosh, how smart this kid is. We all are when we're young. Yes. We get stifled when adults try to put the lid on and tell us how we should think. And I think that's an important concept that we take away from today is that, yes, there are things that children should learn 
about don't touch a hot stove and don't put your finger in the light socket and things like that. But in reality, experiences that they have and the ways that their brain thinks when they're young is so important to the growth that they're going to have with brain development as they get older. Um, Michelle, great ideas. One that I was going to throw out that y'all do put in a lot is the balance uh, walking. The balance stilts. Yes, stilts. Those are awesome. And the kids love to use those things. So what we're talking about, audience, is you put your feet on these uh, cups that are upside down and they have ropes attached to them. So they're like stilts. The kids put their feet on them and they can walk up and down steps. They can walk across things. They can go fast, slow in between. But balancing, oh my gosh, it's great for that. And they just, they love doing it. Teachers, they love doing it too. Come on, call out the teachers. I know if y'all have had them there, you get on them as well. I know that about you. But anyway, that's another one that you put in there that is so popular. Pots and pans. I've seen you put pots and pans in there mm-hmm. and some things. So it, so many things that y'all put in. And I, we're so appreciative of what you do um, and help teacher, help future teachers really think about what's good for recess when they have to be indoors and not be outdoors. Uh, anything else before we go today? I've really enjoyed this visit. This has been fun to talk about indoor recess kits, and I hope listeners will, you know, consider how they might be able to be involved in making these. Uh, they can, as you said, Debbie be used at home in all sorts of places. Um, yeah, and and they're just a lot of fun for kids. Uh, thanks so much, Michelle. This has been awesome. This podcast was brought to you by the Link Center for Healthy Play at Texas Christian University. To learn more about the Link Center and the resources mentioned in today's episode, visit our website at www.liinkproject.tcu.edu.